Welcome back to Life in Commune Mobility March Edition, Episode 3. I'm Patrick. I'm Carling. Happy y'all could join us today. Uh, as always, this podcast is fully supported by our online studio, CommuneYogaStudio.com. Brought to you by us. Brought to you by us and the studio, so CommuneYogaStudio.com. Uh, you can practice with us online. Uh, the promotional code for this month is Mobility Matters, all capital letters. Use that at checkout when you purchase a membership. Uh, you obviously get your first week free, but that will also give you $10 off of your first six months each month. So instead of it being $30, it would be $20 a month over six months. Try it out. We have lots of fun stuff coming your way, including all the classes that you know, you're know you rocking and could be experiencing now. Uh, this week, or yes, this week, it is a week, but it's a day. Um, we are going to talk about how to keep it moving forward, if you will. So one of the questions that's came up quite frequently over the month has been, wow, my handstands, for example, are doing so much better after doing this shoulder practice. Should I do this four times a week? Should I be doing shoulder stuff regularly? What should I do? And we're here to kind of provide you a lot of context and answers to those questions or questions kind of around that line of thought. Well, and especially because we're really at this sort of like halfway-ish mark of this month. This is an oddball month. It's like five weeks with all the little add-ons. So at this halfway point, I think everyone's gone through this shift of jumping into mobility work, whether you're seasoned or new at this kind of modality or this hybrid version that we're doing. The enthusiasm and then like maybe some eye opening moments or some physically range of motion body opening moments where you realize, okay, this is doing something. I can see the difference. I can see the impact. I can see that that handstands X mobility shoulder magic class actually made my handstands better. But if you haven't checked it out, subtle plug. Yeah. But then it becomes a question of like, okay, now what? Either we're halfway through the month and you're like, okay, I'm doing it. Great, I love this. And you're in that like hyperfixation phase where you're like, I'm gonna do this all the time. I'll do it forever. I'm see like it's working. This is my thing now. Or you might be like, okay, I'm doing it, but how, what next? And how do I keep doing this? What does it look like? You know, do I just have to do these same classes over and over again? Should I do this month every month for the rest of my life? I mean, if you wanted to, <laughs> you can. It's by, an all, by, all, by all means, you could. I, I stand by the classes created, so yes. uh, you you obviously could. And there's really something to be said for repetition, of course. But the key thing with mobility, and one of the reasons why we obviously wanted to start with it, was for its ability to help you understand you or work through your own stuff. And well, what does that mean? We all kind of have different areas of the body where we carry tension, where we lack coordination, strength, capacity, range, really any, any factor you can think of. There's a part of your body, no matter how capable you are, that you're like, oh, that's, that's my, my quote unquote trouble spot. It's like your blind spot. Mm -hmm. Or in the first class this month, we talked about movement maps. Yep. And I think of it a lot like that, that like when you're trying to create a map, there are going to be red zones and mm -hmm. unknown areas or places that are off limits that you're only going to be able to know them by exploring. And even then you might only know a little bit. You yeah. only kind of know the borders of the topography, but not all of the little roads and streams and everything. So that's natural to have those places. Like it's doesn't, not everything in your body and in your spatial awareness is going to be fully perfectly like Google maps out. But with these styles of practice, it does give you some illumination into those 
areas, those red zones that maybe you don't have much information on. You don't have a very good map of. You just have a map quest, like a, a shitty map quest of those areas, and you need the, something the, better. The printout version. You have the printout version. And sometimes a street would be missing. I just remember that back yes. then. I'd be like, looking at the map. I was, or your, you know, your uh, <laughs> co-pilot is like doing something else, not paying attention, and you look yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't know what step we're on. At all. I don't even know at all what step we're on. Some of those steps, I remember going to, you know, like people's houses, back in high school and you went to you went to a public school so people kind of all lived re relatively in the yes. same area the that was that was school. not that was not the case for the school that i went to people lived all over the place and so yeah i remember just printing out map quest directions and um you know and then just knocking and, on doors you're like i kinda, hope this just, is right. just kind of hoping well yeah. can you imagine being this is way off topic but can you imagine being like a pizza delivery man in the 80s or 90s or pizza delivery probably guy ours was named Person. fred and magnolia yeah. growing up but like you just had to know yeah, you just had to you know. You just had to know. You just had to know. It's a different game. We don't know it's, anything now. It's, it's no a, one knows. It was a completely different <laughs> skill set, yeah. No, totally. Like, again, to, to to be an Uber driver is just to be in the car for a long period of time, obviously. Yeah. Like, to be a taxi driver 30, 40 years ago, you had to really like, Didn't you be have fully to pass a wild test to be a taxi driver in London? I remember, I think your dad telling us one time about yeah. the test they have to pass to be... You may still a, have to. Yeah, maybe you do. To be a taxi driver in London, you had to, like pass a wild test and know every road and everything whereas now a lot of times my uber drivers and i mean bless them they're in the car forever and i appreciate the ride but they're like yeah. do you know where we're going i'm like yeah man i put, put it on the map yeah put, put, it, on, put it on the address he's like do you have a better way i was like no just whatever way it says let's go that way unless i really unless i really do have a better way in which case you know you gotta let them know i'll always remember the um the uber rides from lax back to uh highland park <laughs> Worse than a 14-hour flight from Australia. The worst part was that Uber ride from LAX to Highland Park. I remember when we bought that house, we had just, I think we were like, we were leaving LA or we were in the car with our real estate agent, Dale, and we said something about how excited we were for being in LA and we are like, yeah. yeah, and better for travel and easier to the airport. And he like kind of chuckled. He was like, easier to the airport yeah. from Highland Park. And we're like, well, yeah, it's not going to be that bad. So far. Boy, were we wrong. So far. Boy. Were we wrong? <laughs> so, so actually tying this back in very poetically to the to the we main. We did not time. have a good map of that route. <laughs> we did not have a good map of that route, and most of us don't have a good map of the way our body moves in space. Um, when it comes to a lot of patterns that we repeat on a regular basis, right? So. When you request your body to do something, it's going to do it in the most efficient way that it can comprehend how to make that activity happen, right? When we're doing a lot of the mobility work, there's this element of isolation. And when we can get to that element of isolation, it really is like learning all the roads and the streets and the little shortcuts mm -hmm. to everything. And not shortcuts like you're shortcutting the work, but like, oh, I actually know how to do external rotation mm -hmm. in my right shoulder in this particular or position. You might realize you are shortcutting the work. Mm -hmm. You no, might no, realize no, no, that you like, you know exactly. yeah, you're like, Fully. okay, this yeah. one, I know the route and I, I can do it. And now I finally know how to go that way. Exactly. But other times you're like, I've missed this turn every time. Yeah. Like I am, or I am shortcutting the thing. I'm doing this with a different joint, a different body part, different tissues than I thought I was, which especially in a handstand practice or the conversation, just because we started there with shoulders, yeah. that what can compensate, make up for shoulders? It's usually your spine. Your spine, your hips. hips your lower back. But we you know, see like, so often the banana backy handstand, the yeah. kind of lovingly crossfitty handstand that happens yeah. that 
very chesty handstand. And often that's because there's a severe lack of overhead shoulder flexion. Exactly. So it's not that you can't do handstands. You can accomplish it. You can get to where you're going, but you've taken a route that you're going to always have to take that shortcut until you address what's missing. And that's an example of why that, you know, a shoulder focused practice, whether it's within the container of a class or as separate prep work that you know you need, can make all the difference in your handstand. Because oh, now you're saying, oh, now I have another way to do this. I have other options. I can go another route. And that is like world opening once you figure out what that thing is. I mean, I, re I just remember to this day we were in Adelaide teaching and uh, we just really gotten into like doing cars. Uh, control articular rotations, cars for mobility, not <laughs> driving cars, of course. We just um, discovered cars. And uh, yeah, and the world, we were all of a sudden, we were, we're going like, places, you know, before, but before it was horses, you know, <laughs> so we were a bit limited. Uh, no, but, and I remember that we were almost late to a workshop. We had to like jog it out a little bit because I, because I was doing shoulder cars and I had to have them done before, before we went to the thing just because it felt better. Like yeah. I remember oh wow, like my practice feels better when I do shoulder, spine, and hip cars before mm -hmm. doing it. And so uh, before the workshop, I was just like, you know, doing the bit. And then I was like, oh, we got to, you were, it happened to me saying, oh, we got to go. I, like, yeah. I might've known we had to go for a while. <laughs> I was like, you're saying this so calmly. I yeah. just. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we made it in the workshop. Happened, made so it, li it life's good. And your handstands were better because of the cars. Yeah, no, totally. And so again, there's these little things that we all have and you, you want to use mobility work over time to continually give you the opportunity to identify these spaces and to keep familiarizing yeah. them with these spaces because things will obviously shift as you put attention places, the body adapts, right? And you want to notice how that adaption supports you, how it gives you more opportunity, how it creates a new sense of physical awareness in the spaces that you're in. And uh, a nice thing that you can even do with that is, you know, let the practice, obviously while you're doing it, be about feeling. But take, use your, your phone camera, use a camera, and actually also see the aesthetic shifts. Not because of like, okay, like box checked, you know, like I'm now quote unquote doing it better, but you'll actually see the some of your efforts, if you will, coming around, which is really quite cool because, you know, it's so challenging to put your efforts and your intentions in the same places. It's one of the things that I think we all struggle with across the board in every activity of life. Um, but when you can really find an alignment there, things start to happen and it's a beautiful process. There's also something about, and I know this is like typically frowned upon to Maybe not so now. Maybe I'm just old school and thinking that it's frowned upon. Maybe it's not anymore to film your practice because maybe it's like so widespread that I don't even realize that it's I think at this not point a taboo anymore. Common. I feel like I always preface it by saying, you shouldn't do this, but maybe you should. When it comes to filming your practice, obviously, if you're using it in a way that it's interrupting your experience of the practice, that's important to acknowledge. But if you are in a place where you are trying to like um, assess how a skill or a drill or workshopping something is moving, changing, shifting your body, then filming is a really effective way to actually see what's happening. Because the felt sense is so important to the deeper practice, but it's not always accurate to the literal practice, right? We, we don't always have a great sense of what we're doing until we see it. 
And our brain is like always running these predictive models, right? Like your brain wants to predict what's going to happen when I do this, what's going to happen when I go there. Like that's what it lives off of. But if it's never seen something or if you've practiced not with mirrors forever, you know, that's also very um, divisive, mirrors or no mirrors. But if you've never practiced in mirrors and you've never filmed yourself, you may not care at all what you look like or accomplishing, you know, the task of a certain pose or whatever. But if you do have an inclination to want to address something like a blind spot or a um, troubling part of your mechanics and mobility that's impacting your practice, then sometimes you need to see it to actually get your brain on board with what's happening. To, oh, completely. To be able to be like, it's a predictive model and now I know what I'm looking for and it can see it in its mind's eye, but it doesn't know until then. It's just going off of, you know, how good your proprioception and everything else is. I mean, uh, just this past week, I was in a hotel in um, in Edale, which is a just in the Peak District outside of uh, Manchester. And in the hotel room, they had one of those like really old school, uh, like big. What's not like a dresser, but like a wardrobe, armoire. an armoire. An armoire. Very good. Very classy. Mm -hmm. An armoire. Yeah, <clears throat> they had a, an armoire, and it was huge, and it had a mirror on it, mm -hmm. and so I was doing my cat cow poses from the side, uh, or on the profile, using the mirror and shifting the articulation from tailbone to spine, and then collarbones to tailbone. So, uh, opening and closing both directions mm -hmm. as the starting point, and it was baffling how different that made it just me using that secondhand bit of information mm -hmm. to see what I was doing, it really shifted the feeling, the sensation. It became way more connected, way more intentional. Um, you know, I really created a deeper focus to the activity. Yeah. And that level of specificity sometimes can only be found through an external source. It's kind of like, you know, I, was, I made this joke in the backbending workshop I taught in uh, Manchester. Sometimes we need a second opinion or sometimes we need an external perspective because literally there's parts of your body that you will never see. Like you will never see your spine. If you see your spine, like second attack on tight reference. But... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it echoed so much in the earth. <laughs> Go on. I'm, re I'm always it's, ready it's, for the it's, reference. It's the, it's the best show. Um, but there's this, uh, there's this moment in the first part of season four, I guess, uh, where uh, a certain person's head flies off and then they can see their whole body and spine was like, that's the only time you'd ever see your own spine, you know, like you would and never. you got bigger problems. And you got bigger, you got much bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I said in the workshop. I was like, listen. Did if you, you say I, the Attack on Titan part? I, I did not. You had had to do so much explaining. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I, don't, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, you know, speak to uh, 80 people's experience with uh, anime the same as at least I know yours so <laughs> you know there's the connection there but uh but yeah it's it's one of those things where like hey you you will never see the space in between your shoulder blades mm -hmm. so somebody else seeing it for you and telling you what's going on that's like new information it's you know also like yeah. in the online world specifically where we're doing things that are targeted and for us it's even challenging teaching when you're trying if i'm trying to teaching a spinal segmentation class to you on camera i'm talking i'm doing i don't know what my spine is yeah, doing yeah. like i i i just when i taught the spine class uh from week four there's a moment where we it's a 
Hatha class for the most part. Yeah. We use chair a little bit sitting. But there's a moment in the middle of freedom of spinal waves of circle chair. And I spend, frankly, most of the time looking at the camera talking to students, talking yeah. to you all, because I can't talk and segment and wave no. and feel and think at the same time. And honestly, I don't want whatever that looks like on camera as I'm trying to multitask that much. But there's a reason for that because it's, it is hard to tap into that. And in the online world, you, we have to find alternative modes to get that same sense of having a teacher right there with you. One of thing course. that we do in our in-person trainings when we're digging through something like spinal mobility very specifically is we spend a lot of time in partners, in small groups, you and I, literally with touch points on each vertebra, each junction to feel where things are moving. But that, I can't reach through the screen and do it. Yeah. So we have to find these other ways, which can be super illuminating. But having that second or third perspective and a tactile point or a visual point to go along with your felt sense is so important to get a greater, more well-rounded vision of what's going on and perception. Because yeah, otherwise you're right, you'll never see it. You'll and never. it's, it's going to be a grayed out, fuzzy part of the map forever, Yeah. right? Unless <laughs> things go downhill real quick, yeah, and we have a rumbling on our hands. <laughs> yeah, and again, when you notice these things about yourself, please know that this happens to all of us at any stage, any level, any like journey, or however long you've been on the path for. So laugh it off, make the adjustment, and keep it pushing. Like at the um, at the workshop that I was there, the training I just did in Amsterdam. Uh, they, I was, we were doing some bent arm stuff and I was having people hold chaturanga for a time just so they could get used to actually seeing and f seeing what that feels like because it's not something you commonly do in yoga practice. And so often people are like, oh, chaturanga, yada, yada, like, you know, but you don't ever actually sit there and see your capacity for it. So it shocks people that their capacity is like 20, 30 seconds. Much higher times, than they thought. Much higher than they thought, even with somebody helping them get into the, the posture, like not helping them, like holding them, but like telling them how to be in a good place or an organized place or whatever. Uh, but when I was doing the demo, someone showed me a video of it, not, not being critical of me, just like sent me the video yeah. of it. And I was like, that's probably the worst chaturanga I've ever done. <laughs> You're like, I need to send a retraction, a, a retraction. to everyone that attended this a, a, workshop. The, the instructions of what I was giving or telling people to do were spot on, but the chaturanga I was doing was very, very different than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And again, that just happens, right? It just happens over time, mm -hmm. right? Where like you think you're doing something and then like you, you, you're, you're really tuned into something. You're really in that space of focus on activity X, right? And the same with this month. Like you're really in the focus of mobility, for example, right? So when we're in the, the middle of like a 200 hour teacher training or something like that, my baseline poses are very spot on and very specific, right? They're, they're, they're like very dialed in because we're demonstrating those things a lot. We've been working with each other on those mm -hmm. those types of activities. Yeah, we're in the zone. So of it. we're in the zone of those baseline activities. But when I'm not fully focused on that thing, like it just changes a little bit and a little bit and a little bit over time because maybe for me personally, I do you know 10 to 20 push-ups a day, mm -hmm. you know, 10 to 20 chaturangas a day, however that may be. 
And then the mo most of the rest of the time, for me personally, I'm doing handstand push-ups or arm balances or arm balance transitions. So all of those things most likely have a higher shoulder position than a chaturanga would. Yes. So that's the pattern oh, that I'm in your, building. In your picture too, were you higher than you thought? Oh my, shoulders was way higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm -hmm. what was that was what was yeah, off yeah. about it. Yeah, I was, that's your isometric hold place too. You're like, if I'm in a hold. This is where my isometrics exactly. live. They live here. Yeah, yeah, and it's really hard, especially even you know when you have partners or someone that's like, hey, bring your shoulders to me, or you have yeah. blocks or something. In those moments too, you're like, that can't be right. Yeah. Totally. Another one this happens, I think, for so many of us is a halfway lift. Mm -hmm. Just think about your most simple sun salutation. Ardha Utsanasana, halfway lift, and you tell people, come to halfway. Yeah. And they don't know where halfway is. Mm -hmm. Or in the mobility world, you know, in this month we've done some good mornings. And in good mornings, those hip hinges, same as you might prep for a deadlift or RDL, things like that, where a flat back is, where a hinge is, I would say generally is like 70% wrong. And not even wrong like you're doing it wrong, but just like we don't know. We just don't know. You don't yeah. know or you think. I, I have been forward folding in some capacity professionally for a long time now. Yeah. And I still, and we don't have mirrors in the studio at Commune, but when I'm at the gym, if I'm lifting or doing RDLs, I stand profile, yeah. I watch myself hinge, I figure out where I am for the first two reps or so, and then I'm like, okay, I saw it, I patterned it, I know my stopping point. Yeah. But like, do I need to do that every time? Actually, yeah. Right? I kind of do. Like, I could just go on feeling, but it's really helpful to say, yes, my inclination was correct. This is the place that I want to be. Okay, I'm going to do it. Because it's so, it's so tough to have a sense, especially in the midst of everything else that might be going on in your practice, in your class, wherever it is that you're moving. To get into the details of movement is a very, very challenging experience because you also have the patterns that you previously created that you are then in some way, shape or form trying to shift up over time. Because again, you don't just want to do your mobility work and only have it applied to your yoga practice or to your mobility drills. Like the purpose of mobility is that it applies mm -hmm. to as many different places as possible. So yeah. you don't just want to be like, okay, like I'm totally in my zone for this mobility drill and I'm doing these things every day because you know, it's the most entertaining work in the world. <laughs> It's not repetitive at all. It's not repetitive at all. At all. Or, you know, frustrating at times. Full of giggles. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you want to try to find ways to branch that out. And that comes through awareness. And that's why the yoga practice and the mobility stuff actually really ties together so nicely because you're starting to use that mobility work to shift pattern. You're starting to use that mobility work to explore different space. And things begin to show up for you a bit, you know, a, with a bit more of a... What's a way to say it? Because it's not, it's not just along the lines of the pose will improve. Mm -hmm. The way you'll feel in the pose will definitely improve. But just the overall awareness as to what you need to, where you need to place your focus in a position can really shift. Um, <clears throat> so often in the yoga practice, and this is something that I have students do quite a lot, is <clears throat> close their eye, like we'll be doing a position, I'll be like, close your eyes and envision envision warrior two for example and i'm like are you the one you're visioning doing warrior two and you're most likely not envisioning yourself right so you're you're most likely envisioning somebody else maybe yeah. maybe a picture you a saw a picture you saw yeah a picture you saw or your a teacher, video you saw you teacher you. your person next to you whatever you're looking at right now oh mm -hmm. i see you know jim doing warrior two mm -hmm. okay that's, that's kind of what's in my mind right yeah. that's, that's the last one and so you know so often we're not even really working with ourselves mm -hmm. right in the in the back of our mind our subconscious space so <clears throat> when you start to 
begin to have some awareness as to like, oh, these are the areas I actually need to or want to focus on here, all of a sudden that starts to build and that starts to move and that's where a lot of shift begins to happen. And my hope too is that you start to unlock just more options within your movement, whether it's on the mat or off of the mat, where it becomes, okay, I'm not just doing warrior two or doing any pose, a forward fold or whatever, but it's like, I actually can get there and have a greater sense of what I'm doing, how to do it, how to, how to accomplish the task I'm trying to do, as opposed to like just being there and being like, well, here we are. Here we are. You know what I mean? You're kind of in a pose and you're like, teacher says a thing, I'll do it. Teacher says a thing, I'll do it. Instead, I think that mobility in this intersection becomes very freeing because when you get there, you can make choices for yourself then, right? Instead of a teacher saying something and you're like, yeah, man, there's only one way I can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we see so often as teachers that there are many students who are just locked in their bodies, right? Like, and, and not in a, just in a, they, a, there's not even an awareness. They don't even know they're stuck in their bodies, but there's only one option to get somewhere. There's only one option to move. Or when it comes to, you know, trying to make an adjustment or offer a verbal tweak on something, they just literally can't. And may, it's usually not because they don't understand what you're saying, but it's because the body doesn't have that option. It doesn't have that road mapped out yet, so we just can't do it. Yeah. And you, that means you, that you when you get on your mat, like, you can't go where you can't go. You can't do what you can't do. And that, once you realize there might be other options, I think it becomes almost imperative that you're like, oh, oh, oh I actually didn't even have choices before. I just could either be in warrior two or I could be in plank. Like there was no adjust this, pull the hip back, all of the lovely, fancy, um, smart, skillful cueing that teachers can do. For many people, if they don't see it and they don't have the options, it, none of that matters. It just doesn't quite show up in the same way mm -hmm. because again, when you're thinking about yoga, you don't think as often about the spaces in between poses or your first initial arrival in the pose. We often think about the end result of the pose. Mm -hmm. And so you look at something like an Orbhadanyarasana and- Wheel pose. Wheel pose, yeah. And uh, you're, you're thinking about backbending, right? So you place your hands on the ground, you place your feet on the ground, and then you just push them both down mm -hmm. and something Bend. lifts up. <laughs> And something yeah. lifts up. And that's phase one. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that is really phase one. However well that goes for you, because again, you could have a lot of natural range of motion in the body, or you could have explored those spaces in previous physical movement disciplines, mm -hmm. or you could have never done any of those things at all, and you place your hands and feet down, and nothing lifts nothing up. Nothing happens. Right? You could be in any frame of the experience, right? But uh, I remember one of the very first um, yoga, like intro to yoga courses I took there was this girl in there who definitely did like rhythmic gymnastics or some high level gymnastics yes. experience before because her bow pose was like arm straight, leg straight, like just like a Wild. teardrop. It was just, yeah. I was like, there's one of the biggest ones I've ever seen to this mm -hmm. day. And then there's me just like trying to- Should something be lifting? <laughs> yeah, just, just trying to catch a foot, you know? <laughs> she had a lot of options. She had, she had a lot of options straight away. And, and so even if you're somebody with a lot of options, being able to understand A, how you have them is important, uh, and then B, how you want to use them, how you want to play them. Because again, how you play them is the perspective of the practice. That's your choice. You know, you if you want to make the movement more about your shoulders, you can if you have those options. You want to make it more about the hips, you can. You want to make it more about the spine, you yes. can. It's, it's all just giving yourself that opportunity is what you're looking for, no matter your age in your practice, no matter your level of um, 
we'll call it skill for now, no matter your level of time or the, what you want to get out of it, the more you can develop these options, the more you can play the practice in a way that serves you. Uh, you know, when we, we talk about Warrior Two, we often talk about it in kind of three forms, maybe even four forms, right? But there's, there's just a general Warrior Two, the one you do all the time, right? Uh, so that's kind of most likely your middle ground space. Mm -hmm. And then there's one that you're gonna, you wanna get more work into the body, right? So you wanna have a somewhat of a deeper stance, mm -hmm. right? Maybe that's longer, or maybe you're just trying to take your hips lower. Mm -hmm. Or maybe right? it's more engaged, more or engaged. whatever, yeah. yeah. Right? Then there's also a stance for stamina. Like if we're like, hey, Carly, do Warrior Two for five minutes right now. Are you gonna take a very long stance? Or are you gonna take a stance that you know you're gonna make it to that finish line, yes. which is most likely a shorter stance? If I take stance. my max effort stance, yeah. I'm not going to be able to do it very long. Yeah, that, that's, and so again, as, as you begin to develop this capacity for playing into options, all of a sudden you have so much more uh, potentiality in the practice, not in terms of like everything is going to be big, but you actually really control the elements and the layers of what you're working through based on what's offered. And that's and based such on a, what you need and or want in your body, you have the ability to then really make truly any practice your own, which I sometimes think we say that all the time, this idea of like making it your own and getting what you, getting out what you put into it and all of that jazz. But that's tough when you don't have options in your body, right? And Incredibly. so being able to then say, actually, I, I feel like today I need a little bit more here. So I'm going to place my efforts and focus and work here, as opposed to like, I just am where I am and that's the only place I can be. Yeah. And even people that have a multitude of options on the other end because mobility isn't just about more range of motion more options although oftentimes that's the people who are drawn to it it's also about for people who already exist with a shit ton of options and how can they better choose the most effective ones for them or put strength into those options so that they could actually have pit stops along the way instead of one big option and then one no option, right? And everything in between is like jello. So we want to find ways to put strength in all of those pit stops or give them the ability to actually stop, like breaks at those places, whereas otherwise they are like all gas, no breaks, people who have a lot of hypermobility and a lot of options. So Ch it's Channel 5 News now, to be fair. He's, his show got, got taken from all gas, no breaks. I think things you know? are not in a great place for him currently. Really? Yeah, he had a bunch of like bad allegations. Really? Yeah bunch of bad stuff. That's not, good. not great. As soon as I said it, I was like, it's the right phrase, but a questionable man. Really? A local, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I think a Garfield High School yeah. Uh, graduate. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, not great allegations. I don't know enough to speak on it, but I do know that he's not in a great place as far as I know. Well. Um, so, but the idea of someone who's hypermobile and has a, a ton of options in their body, mobility is important for them too, to get a sense of what options they are choosing. Right? Sometimes they just go to their biggest option or the most, and we forget that there's all these stutter stops along the way that are just as important. Maybe they actually can't stop in any of those other places. And that is, in a sense, a, a, still a lack of freedom, right? You're not able to have stability in all the interstitial places. So really we want a marriage of both, but there's things that are difficult on either end of the spectrum, and there's possibility on either end of the spectrum. Right. So we've went a lot of directions in yes. this podcast, give you a lot of perspective. Now we're going to dial it down okay. into some straight up recommendations from you on how people can move forward. Okay. So what is, from someone that teaches both yoga and mobility uh, in studio, classroom settings, and privately, what is a game plan you might work with for 
a student who is trying to incorporate mobility into their practice moving forward? Is it something that they should do every day? Is it something they should do three times a week? Is it a 15-minute thing that supplements? You kind of know where I'm getting yes, this. Yes, yes. Cool. Of course, everything is very individual, so mm -hmm. it depends what you want out of it, what your end goals are, right? Yeah. So if there's a, if it's just a generalized, okay, you've started to dive into mobility and you realize you're moving better, you're feeling better, it seems like this is part of it, so you want to keep doing it. And if someone was coming to me in this place with like, I want to move better, I want to feel better, that's that's the end goal, which like, what a noble end goal, yeah. hopefully. The ultimate end the goal. The ultimate end goal, the right? Like that goal. is, it's so noble to also recognize that in yourself. You're like, I, I want these things, I need these things, and I will exist better because of it. In that case, really, I think that it doesn't need to be a huge imposition on your life, but it does need to be a consistent um, place marker that you come back to over and over again. So oftentimes I'll recommend 15 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe a five to 10 minute thing every day or five mm -hmm. days a week to get the routine in and to get the movement in your body. And then a 15 minute thing, three days a week, two days a week as a supplement to whatever else you do. Because I think the mistake people sometimes make is quitting whatever else they're doing to start pursuing mobility. Yeah. And then you forget that like you can actually do mobility with in the other disciplines in conjunction like if you are weightlifting if you start doing things at full range probably a lighter weight or adjust the other toggles but if you start doing things at full range you are doing a version of some mobility work because now you're adding weight into your full range so like there are ways to tack it on top depending on what your other disciplines are but i don't usually advise someone just drops whatever else they're doing and, and start saying, I'm gonna do mobility five days a week. Okay. Oh, completely. Like a big Pl mobility. Yeah. Please remember that mobility work without purpose is very hard to stay motivated for. Mobility work with purpose is very easy to stay motivated mm -hmm. for because you see the yes. value of it. Exactly. You will not be in a, you may, again, not trying to put words in your mouth, but it is very hard to stay motivated doing challenging pails and rails sets and sessions if you aren't doing anything that that particular activity applies nice to too. outside of that. So I think it's a wonderful recommendation. Yes. Um, one added caveat on that, because I think you did a really good job touching lowest barrier mm -hmm. to entry. What if somebody loves it and they're really into it? What do you recommend in terms of like, hey, can they hit external rotation every day of the week? Mm -hmm. Should we do, you know, like how, do, how would you yeah. build into that for someone that's like, hey, I do have two hours a day that I want to do a practice again. This is another arbitrary period of time. Luxury. This person yeah. is living the life. Good for you, fam. Yeah, I love it. For this person. But they, they want to do mobility for an hour. They want to do yoga practice for an hour. How do you, how would you recommend them balancing that mobility yeah. side of things? So for me, when you start addressing mobility or adding it in, in a bigger scope into what you're doing, I actually think it's really helpful to program it kind of like you would any other strength program. So if you're not familiar with strength programming, there's many different approaches to it. But what I think is very different from the yoga world, in the yoga world, there's always kind of just like 
you go to class and you do what the teacher offered. But there's not typically a legs day, an upper body day, or a straight arm day, a bent arm day. Uh, you know, it's a hinge day, a squat day, a posterior chain day, an anterior. Like, those are things that the teacher might be programming, a yoga teacher might be programming, and you just don't know. But it's not always in this, like, structured place where something's happening on specific days to allow for recovery. And part of that is because the yoga practice the like max it's, it's a daily bit yeah and the max intensity is pretty low in a yoga practice like there's only so much isometric contraction you can do in a yoga practice while breathing for the amount of holds and all that that's going to provide um the tissue adaptation that requires a lot of recovery right mobility if you're doing that like bigger venture into mobility and you are doing heavy sets of pails and rails, you're doing cars, maybe level two cars, you're adding in quite a bit more, some of those kin stretch classes with me where we're doing a lot more hovers and circles and liftoffs, that stuff really should be looked at like strength training and you should be making sure that you look at it from a way of recovery too, because your tissues are taking on a lot of internal strength and you will feel it. After a big external rotation hip stay, say a lot of 90-90 type of stuff, um, you will likely be sore. And so we don't need to hit that again the next day right away at the same intensity level. So I actually like to think of it more as like, okay, I'm going to bracket it to what I'm doing and the ranges of motion I'm trying to address. So I might have one day that is maybe it's 90-90 centric or it's hip external rotate, hip rotation centric. And then I'll have another day that might be hip extension centric. And another day that's spine, another day that's shoulders. And so, so we're just kind of steadily working through the yeah, whole body. And then and I might have yeah. one day that's like a sort of active recovery. It's just a little bit of everything, but at a super low intensity, like a little bit of everything. Uh, I've got a mellow mobility class out that's, you know, kind of just an, uh, it's a little bit restory, a little bit, but there's just a touch in there. Or maybe it's full body cars. Mm -hmm. and some things that feel good but that's like your full day active recovery yeah and i think that's important to put into because that's a place where you might you know feel the effects of the rest of your week but i like to program it you know a different thing every day if you're trying to do full body mobility at a high level every day your tissues just need just as much time to recover and if that's on top of some other discipline you have you might be overworking and under recovering and so I, sometimes I think people get confused and they think mobility is recovery. And I, it drives me a little crazy when people prescribe mobility and it's like, oh, mobility RX and this is recovery. And it's like, it can be recovery, but it can also be strength training. And yeah. so if we treat, if we come into any mobility practice thinking, oh, this is recovery, then oftentimes we neglect that it's actually adapting our tissues and they need repair time as well. So that you know, that includes sleep, that includes eating, that includes everything, and not overtraining. I think of mobility much more as training than recovery. It can be recovery, but it needs to be at a very low intensity. Yeah, so um, you're more just moving through the body. That would be, yeah. a, that would be a bit more like a, a gentle yoga practice type Yeah, a, type a dynamic type movement, stretching, and yeah. like some passive mm -hmm. stuff, and some of the brain body stuff. You know, things like the nerve flossing and all of that, you could do that every day repetitively for the yeah. most part. I'm talking like the much more uh, intense directives that are very specifically targeted towards tissues, yep. right? Not the whole body freedom movement stuff. But certainly you do some of those like uh, socks glide type practices 
And that's going to be a lower body day for you. Oh, for sure. And you should treat it that way and then appropriately recover the tissues. Don't not move them because not moving them is not going to make them feel better. It does not. It does not. It's just means that they're going to feel shitty for two days instead of one. And like tissues feeling crappy is not also an indicator of good work, Mm -mm. right? Delayed onset muscle soreness, sometimes we call it DOMS, is not... (laughs) Is that the most bro thing that's come out of my mouth in a while? Also because of uh, Dom Mazzetti, like the, the bro that. science yes. guy. Yeah, yeah. This is what I thought of, yeah. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, true. I guess you're right. It is bro science in, yeah. in, in more way than one. In more ways than one. So Dom's is actually not always a great indicator of a successful workout or movement or practice. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm so sore. That was great. And it's yeah. like, maybe, but maybe you didn't recover enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't that great in the moment. It, maybe it was, but maybe it wasn't and you didn't sleep. Yeah. You didn't drink enough water, you didn't eat, or you overtrained, and that's why. So we don't want to use that as a measure. The goal is not to go hard or go home. The goal is to go smart. Yeah. And then and keep going. And then keep going. And then yeah. get to go again move. tomorrow. Move. And get to go again the day after. Because if Because move better, feel better. Yeah. Because if you're unnecessarily sore or you're hitting it too hard or you're doing every class and you're doing it twice so you can like do the whole thing, then you're actually probably long-term taking back your overall training practice because now you've done so much that you need way more to recover on the like back end of it. You're way more tired. You're way more burnt out. You need way more. You have to catch up as opposed to just being smart and methodical about it all along the way. That's the hope. I know it's easier said than done though, because we've all said that we're like, so sore. What a good class. (laughs) But it's just so much more complicated than that. And everyone's different how they're going to react to that stuff. Yeah, it's all part of the vibe. All right, last one for you. Similar to the question that we first began this podcast on, someone took handstand class. They were feeling better in their handstands because of the shoulder-focused work. Is that something that they should add in in some capacity before every class that they take? If Question, leave it at that. I mean, I think that if you have identified that spot that mm-hmm. really makes a difference in a practice like yoga that requires a lot of overhead shoulder flexion, then perhaps a really lovely experiment would be for the next month before every practice, what's a 10 minute routine you can do yep. before practice? Because I know in a yoga practice, we tend to expect the teacher to do everything for us, to mm-hmm. like be able to know what every individual person needs and warm them up and do everything. But that's just not realistic. Um, so if you know you need something specific to you, then take ownership and agency of your body and say, okay, I'm going to go to class 10 minutes early and I got to do these things. That's what it is. I'm going to get on my mat and before whatever, if I have time for 45 minutes of practice today, then actually I have time for a 35 minute class because I have 10 minutes of my own stuff I need to do first yep. and just see how it impacts it. Cause it'll obviously translate very clearly in a handstand class, but you might notice it makes a big difference in Across a general, the board, any yeah, class, yeah. any class. And you might actually feel like something else is clicking on better or something feels better and has less struggle because somewhere else down the chain or up the chain, that's actually freed up more movement along the way since it's all systems and they're all connected. So I think that that can be extrapolated out and it becomes a smaller routine. And then maybe you do that and you revisit that handstand shoulder class a couple times, like at the end of that month or maybe at the middle point at the end again and see how it changes. If maybe you've already, you don't need as much as that class offers because you've made the gains on a regular basis, small and incrementally along the way. Yeah, that steady 
little bit mm -hmm. over time every single day helping you make progress. But do you need to do that handstand class at that intensity of it every day to like maintain that gain or like, you know, to do yeah. it? No, I don't no. think so. But no. maybe in the beginning, yeah. repeating something a bit to jumpstart mm -hmm. that process to help you build yep. whatever this 10 minute routine is. Mm -hmm. And again, it can be anything, but yes. any class, but trying to identify these things I think is really important, helps you move forward, helps you understand how the systems connect. So mm -hmm. I think it's awesome And stuff. just remember it's new stuff for your body, right? If yeah. you found big awakenings in any of these class, classes, that's great, but also treat it like something new. So as you revisit, it's like, okay, if you did it yesterday and you're gonna do it again today, you're gonna have a little different experience of it because the residuals are in your body. So paying attention to how that shifts and how it changes will make it even more illuminating for you if you are then trying to craft or stack together a couple smaller classes to create your own little routine because then you have a sense of, okay, this one piece of it, this is really important. This other piece, yes, when I take the class, but maybe no, not in my routine. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get a sense of picking and pulling and you need the repetition just to get familiar with the work to then be able to make it your own. Yeah. So that's yeah. our hope is that, you know, eventually, Amen. I mean, we want, you don't need us, we'd like you to like us still, but like, <laughs> we don't, you know, I want you to be able to pick these things up and say, when I'm at my desk, I remember how to do this median nerve flossing because it helps me at my desk. I don't need you to have to log on and watch and me every class, time. You know that I want bit. you to learn yeah. it and know it and make it yours and make your life better. And I think that's with everything. You figure out a routine, the pieces that work best for you, like that's our greatest wish with everything is that 100%. it makes a difference in your life in the easiest way possible. Yeah. All right, y'all. Great chat. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, of course, if you have any questions, you can send them our way. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Have an amazing um, bit of practice. And yeah, peace.